Hey, welcome to night school. And the good news is I'm about halfway done with a bang energy drink. This show is not brought to you by bang energy drinks, but I am. I am brought to you more and more frequently. I wouldn't say I have bang energy drinks monthly. I'd say I have them... I'd say it's become a quarterly experience. It's an experience. I don't, I don't even know that I feel any different when I drink one. I feel virtually nothing when I drink coffee. You know, I've overdone it so much. I really feel no boost whatsoever when I drink caffeine. But I do kind of get high off of the experience of bang energy drinks. It's exciting. They're disgusting. They really are. I had a, the one that I really just genuinely liked, I got it from a vending machine probably last year, Miami Cola. And I, of course, liked it for the name alone, but I actually genuinely enjoyed the Miami Cola flavor. But I haven't seen that one in stores. I don't know if it's rare, but I would love to find it again. I mean, I'd go out of my way, even in this Coronavi pandemonium pandemic, I'd go out of my way just to get a Miami Colar. Cola. Colar. Do British people say Kohler in the same way they say vodka instead of vodka? Kohler. Coca-Cola. But yeah, I got a two for four dollars deal. So I, this is the first time I think I've had two banging bang energy drinks at once. Not that I'm drinking them at once, but just first time I've had two in my possession. It's like when you go from buying 20 sacks of weed as a teenager to the first time you ever buy an eighth. And you're excited. You have so much weed. That's how I feel right now with bang energy drinks. I got another can just waiting for me. Probably not for today. I don't know about that. (laughs) I don't know about drinking two of them in a day. Especially now that it's, you know, almost four o'clock. It's been a good day, though. I, I'm i trying to get a tan. About the last five years, I've discovered that I really love the feeling of having a tan. Just psychologically. I, I couldn't even care less about the appearance. Although I, I do like appearing tan. I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with the appearance. I, but, I you know, I don't want to get snowbird Florida tan. You know, I don't need to have that deep, dark, leathery tan. But I found that just getting a little something for the summer, just something that'll last you a month or two, and just maintaining it a little bit. I even tried sunbathing a few years ago. I would wake up on a, a nice day and lay there. And it was before I got into meditation and all that, but it was very similar. You know, you've, you, it was definitely transcendental in a way. And when you have direct sunlight on you, it does something to you. It's the thing that everything grows toward, man. Look at a tree sometime and recognize that all those branches and leaves grow outward and upward to try to get more and more light. They're fighting to get as much sunlight as they can. Next time you look at the bushiest part of a tree, you can hear that bang energy drink talking. The little indentations I'm making with my thumb are popping. But next time you look at a tree, really think about why it grows the way it does, why the branches grow outward and upward the way they do, because they're fighting for that solar energy. They're slowly fighting, too. They're patiently fighting. They're not like a bunch of, you know, newborn puppies fighting over, you know, their mama's teat. They're patiently growing outward and upward to try to get as much sunlight And there's a reason why the base of the tree is totally bare. It's getting no sunlight. It's all outward and upward. And so, you know, I'm I'm following that model, and I'm trying to get more sunlight when the sun is available, when that resource is available. I like getting a little tan. I feel better. And I don't know what it is. It's not not like I I feel like I'm I'm trying to look better for, for women or something like that. I just genuinely feel better. And for that matter, too, like when it comes to women, I don't need a woman to be tan for me to be attracted to her. Some women look really good with a nice tan. Other women look good pale. You know, a woman who's, you know, a woman with a nice hourglass figure who's pale, like that's very attractive to me. I guess I'm not into 
scrawny women one way or another. It doesn't matter, you know, how how long a scrawny woman lays in the sun. I'm probably not going to be very attracted to her one way or another. She might have a pretty face. And, and, you know, by, you know, not being attracted to her, it has nothing to do with her scrawny body. It has everything to do with uh, the fact that she's got a scrawny personality. No, I don't. Here we are. Here we are. I, you know, we're all about every night's a school night, school night, night school, whatever it's called, whatever the hell this show is called, where we're all about abstinence and that alien monk lifestyle, spiritual discipline. And here we are just evaluating women's skin tones. But we can do that. We can do that when we have a bang energy drink in our hand, in my hand. It's weird when you start saying our when you're a one-man show. I do it for every night's a school night because I kind of feel like every night's a school night is something outside of me. I kind of feel like I'm representing a brand and there's, of course, music being played, samples, so it does kind of feel like more than just me. There's a crowd there. I might be the host, but there's a crowd. Whereas night school, it's just me, so I, I can't say we or our Although maybe I can when I'm drinking Bang Energy Drink, because, you know, that Bang Energy Drink, it was speaking earlier. The can was popping. You may have heard it in the background. So maybe if I have a can of Bang Energy, I can say we. If nothing else, a French we, meaning yes. Coming from a place of yes and not no. You know, I was thinking about something the other day, a... Just a reminder that we really do have fundamentally different realities sometimes. As much as there is some sort of shared objective truth, otherwise we really wouldn't coexist at all. We'd have a very difficult time communicating anything. It, you know, Even though we have different vantage, vantage points, we are looking at the same things in many cases and having, at the very least, parallel experiences in relation to the same objects, you could say. But, you know, just a reminder that sometimes we do just have a fundamentally different reality from other people. And I think the best example of that for me is when people compare two people's faces or their appearances and they say, oh, he looks just like Mike. He looks just like my friend. He looks so much like my friend Mike. Oh, my God. You know, and you know those people. You know Mike. And you know uh, Harry. You know Mike and Harry. You know what they look like. And you have a friend who's just like, oh my god, I can't, I can't believe how much Mike looks like Harry. And you, you know they look nothing alike. You know they look nothing alike. And you know that you're a good judge of that. Because that's how I feel. I feel that if nothing else in this life... You know, I've worked hard to develop some skills, and I believe in, you know, putting time into things that you care about. But when it comes to just natural ability, one thing that I will pride myself on is my ability to know whether two people look alike or not. My ability to compare things. I will pride myself on my ability to compare two things, especially human faces. And I see it all the time where someone will compare two people. They'll say two people look alike. You'll see it with celebrities. People will talk about people they know. They'll compare them to celebrities. That's an interesting thing as well because celebrities kind of represent this. They're almost like these... Well, they're archetypes in a way. And when somebody looks like a celebrity, it's there's something, it's worth noting to people. And I would agree. Cause sometimes I'll see somebody who does look like a celebrity and it's significant to me. Even though they may be older than that celebrity. Maybe they've had the face longer. It's still, that celebrity kind of owns that face. When someone's famous enough, they own that face, and everybody looks like them, not the other way around. Or, or people don't look like them, which is my point, where sometimes people will make a comparison, and I'm just like, we are living in different worlds. And that makes you evaluate 
everything that that person sees. Because if somebody sees two faces and they think they look alike when you just know they don't, and yeah, there's always the possibility that you're the one who's wrong. Maybe I'm the one who's wrong. I don't think so, though. Like I said, if there's one thing that I will pride myself on, it's my ability to compare two faces and tell you honestly and accurately whether they resemble each other. Um, but uh, it's one of those things, though, when somebody does that, when somebody you know does that a lot, when they're like, oh, he, he reminds me so much of Mike. He reminds me so... Oh, doesn't he just remind you of Mike? And you just go, no. <laughs> but there's this pressure to go along with it, too. You know, that's the interesting thing about our species, and maybe any species, but definitely our species, is that there's this pressure to agree. Unless you're highly disagreeable, unless you can have fun with disagreement, you're going to end up agreeing a lot with your friends even when you don't agree, even when they make comparisons between two different faces that don't actually look alike. Although I feel like this is more of a feminine trait, to be honest. I'm thinking now, and I don't remember very many times when my male friends say, doesn't he remind you so much of Mike? Oh, he looks so much like Mike, dude. It's often women who do this. And it's not a criticism. It's just kind of, I think it's something that, I think that women are very good at finding the commonality between things and particularly people, especially people. I, I think women look for that. I think they're seeking that. I think they, they relate that way. Women are the queens of relativity, of re- relation. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to formal, I don't know what the formal title would be. But, you know, it is sort of a thing where so many times, like, Women I know will say, oh, you remind me so much of my other friend, Mike. You gotta, oh, I I just know if you were to meet Mike, you guys would just be best friends. And then you meet Mike. And you might not hate him, but you're just like, oh, yeah, no. No, I'm nothing like Mike. And there is that ego part of me where I just don't like being compared to people, period where I feel a little bit like my uniqueness is being challenged. Something, you know, there, there is something petty to it. But there's many cases where you meet somebody, and it's because I'm, I'm more than happy to make new friends, you know, especially if, if I can relate to somebody, you know, especially if somebody is somebody that I can just talk to outside of small talk. You know, I, I enjoy that. You know, it's not like I'm trying to deny connection to other human beings here but sometimes people will do that and it's especially women and they're so well-meaning they want to bring people together all of this comes from a very well-meaning place of wanting to bring people together wanting people to join the tribe and uh, they're probably right you know in some way that you're probably they're probably right in some way that there is some parallel between these people and sometimes it could be mannerisms, because sometimes that's what people are responding to when they say two people look alike. And the look alike thing, the look alike thing, I think that everybody kind of does that. I think I don't think that that's necessarily a, a feminine characteristic to say that two people look alike, whether they do or they don't. But the, I guess what I meant was a feminine characteristic was that you remind me so much of my other friend, or you remind me so much of my cousin Karen's husband's dad you know I didn't even mean to invoke the name Karen which has a whole other connotation now but um, it's just a name to me but I think women tend to it tends to be more of like you remind me so much of Kenneth who I worked with I just gotta get you guys together and uh, you guys would just be best friends no we wouldn't no we wouldn't um that tends to be the more feminine thing that I'm talking about. But I think just making comparisons between people's appearances is just something everybody does. And it's just, it's like I was saying, though, it's one of those things that just, to me, when that happens, I'm just like, oh, I am seeing the world completely differently from this person. And what else do I see differently? Because we're talking about a face. 
We're not talking about something that's open for interpretation. I mean, everything is. If you want to get philosophy 101 about it, yeah, everything is open for interpretation. But it sh- not everything should be. Just someone's appearance, you know, either you can see things right or you you don't. <laughs> you know? Uh, but sometimes what people are referring to is someone's someone's mannerisms. Maybe they maybe they don't actually resemble a person, but they make similar faces. They have similar mannerisms. They carry themselves similarly. Maybe their personality is similar, and that makes you see their face differently. So it's not just a, a one-dimensional topic. You know, there was a little while back, maybe a year ago, where this uh, girl, young woman I used to work with, she messaged me, and she compared me to a guy who was on the show. I believe it was 90 Day Fiance. And she'd been kind of, like, flirting with me a little bit. Uh, and so the, this message, it was intended to be kind of flirty. She said I, I look like a more attractive version, which I, I really appreciate that pickup line. I appreciate the pickup line of you look like a more attractive version of this celebrity or this I don't know if you call somebody on 90 Day Fiance a celebrity. I, I guess so. But she compared me to him, and I, of course, looked at him, and I was like, yeah, I have like the same hair color. That's it. <laughs> you know? That's it. Uh, but it was a good pickup line, because that's a good way to do it. That's a good flattering way to do it, is to say, you look like a more attractive version of this person. Because sometimes you'll compare somebody to somebody and it's not very flattering. I remember one time I was stoned in high school and my friend's roommate, he was older and he had a roommate, had this bodybuilder friend who would come over and the the bodybuilder friend was kind of like, he knew that we were stoned so he kind of decided, he's like, I'm going to fuck with him. He was fun. He was a nice guy. It wasn't like he was bullying us, but uh, bullying us. But he was, he kind of enjoyed, like, we were hanging out in the kitchen, and he was kind of like, he was fucking with my friend who was just high out of his gourd. And I remember he was like, so you're probably like the, uh, the Chris Farley <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the group, right? And he, me- he didn't mean it in a mean way, but at the time, I was much heavier than I am now. And uh, it was just his just gut-level comparison. Maybe I made a joke or something. You know, maybe I had made a joke. I don't really remember. It's hazy. This, this like, 30-year-old bodybuilder, however old the guy was, fucking with me and my friends and we're stoned. As you can imagine, it's almost, it's almost like remembering a dream. But I, the guy was like, so you're, you're probably like the Chris Farley of the group, right? And it's just like, the only reason he said that is because I was fat. <laughs> the only basis he had for thinking I was the Chris Farley of the group is the fact that I was the fat one. Which is funny. It's funny, but it's not flattering when someone says, oh, you remind me of Chris Farley. Because, you know, at my face, you know, I don't have, (laughs) my face doesn't look like Chris Farley. What about me is similar to Chris Farley? Oh, it might be this. Grabbing my stomach. Um, But uh, it it is one of those things where by, I, I appreciate that this girl that I worked with, this young woman that I worked with, I like that she... That she was very crafty in that pickup line, or whatever it was, by saying a more attractive version. Because that way, that way, she—it's like, what if she had said, "You're like a more attractive Chris Farley." Where do you go with that? I don't know, but uh, you know, maybe I missed out on that one. Maybe I missed out on the love of my life with her. She's like, she teaches yoga. I don't think she listens to this show. If she listens to this show, I mean, everything I'm going to say is complimentary because she's beautiful. She teaches yoga. I think she meditates. She's into all of that stuff. And the reality is, though, as wonderful as that sounds, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about spirituality. Uh, Let's talk about torturing yourself. Let's talk about Zen torture. Oh, yeah, you're into, like, feeling good. I'm into Zen torture. And I read the Bible every night. Uh, I'm really, and I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we have a lot to, to relate on. No, but uh, 
I think she looked good with. Yeah, I think she's the type who would look good with a tan. But anyway, back to tans for a second. You know, for me, it's like it has nothing to do really with my outward appearance that I want to tan. Even though I do have this fantasy of you know wearing a Hawaiian shirt and being seventy years old in Miami Cola, in you know, just the name of the place now. It's not even just a an elusive flavor of bang energy drink. Miami Cola is just what I call the city of Miami now. We're going to Miami Cola. Oh yeah, you know, uh, ever since I won that million dollars, that ten million dollars that I won, I spend my winters in Miami Cola. Cola. But it is one of those things where you just feel better with a tan. And people would say that that's probably... I think there's people out there who think that having a tan is some is another one of those socially conditioned, you know, ideas of what attractive is. Because there has been a whole movement, an anti-tan movement. If you're not aware of it, I am. There's been sort of a movement against tanning. I mean, of course, you never want to damage your skin. You don't want to get skin cancer. I mean, I have pure Northern European blood. My skin doesn't... It's not even possible for me to get a true snowbird tan. And I have to be very careful. I have to be very careful not to hurt myself by getting a tan. But there has been this kind of anti-tanning movement where it's like being pale is what's attractive. Being pale is where it's at. And there's nothing wrong with being pale. Nothing wrong at all about it. But, you know, for me, it's like it's not even a matter of being attractive. I just feel better with a tan. While I'm out in the sun, I feel better. When you're, like I said, the trees grow patiently outward and upward. And when you're out getting that direct sunlight, you know, you feel like a tree who's succeeded who's reached the right place, who's grown just far enough so that your leaves can soak up that sun. That's how you feel when you're out in the sun. And then you you glow afterward. You know, it makes you glow. It makes you physically glow, but you feel this inward glow. And I don't know if it's true. I don't know how true it is, but I've heard that getting sunlight, direct sunlight, especially when you're shirtless, I've heard that that increases testosterone. And I'm not eager for more testosterone, you know, I, for weightlifting, for muscle, for things like that, I do, I would like to maybe have a boost in testosterone, I don't know, I don't really, I don't, I don't look into the science of this stuff, and I find that people who are into fitness and they obsess over this stuff, it just seems really, it would take the fun out of fitness for me, if I obsessed over this, like these scientific details of how much testosterone you need. But I do feel that there might be something to that, that idea of sunlight increasing testosterone, because I kind of feel it afterward. And I might just be feeling this bang energy drink, but I am feeling a little, I don't know, I'm feeling a little, maybe a little macho even, I don't know. Talking about girls' skin tones, talking about going to Miami Cola for the weekend. But there's just something to it, and I, I would recommend it. I would recommend you, get, you put on the sunblock, put on the suntan lotion, whatever you got to do, and get out there in it. And I've gotten really allergic. You know, I can't even lay down in grass anymore. I used to I used to lay down in the grass when I'd tan. I can't even do that anymore. Or my back breaks out in red rash. Red rash. That's another flavor of Bang Energy Drink. Red rash. Let me just mention that for a second. Like, the flavors are just terrible. There's something so artificial about the flavor of Bang. I just noticed that it has, you have to be over the age of 18 to buy it. Um, but uh, as you should, as you should. But um, I'd like to see somebody get carded for a Bang energy drink. But the flavors, they, they all have like unique names, most of them. This one's just Power Punch. Uh, the one I'm drinking right now is just Power Punch. There's one that's red, white, and blue that I like. The first sip is disgusting, and then after that, it kind of just it meets you at your level after that. But there's something disgusting but addicting about the flavor. 
Um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, you know, it might be one of those things too, where the the same person who the same person who can't tell the difference between two people who look completely different from each other, they might drink two completely different flavors of Bang Energy drink and say they taste the same when they clearly don't. They might drink. They might take a sip of Miami Cola and then take a sip of Power Punch and say they, they taste the same. They taste the same. And, you know, that's that's how I feel, though. I mean, to me, when somebody thinks two things are similar that aren't, it is often that egregious, like mistaking two flavors of Bang for each other. It is often that egregious. Let me take a sip. Hold on. You know, oftentimes when I do this show, I'll have a cup of coffee or a glass of something. You know, I'll have like a iced tea, in this case a bang. And I'll have it in my hand throughout the entire episode with the intention of drinking it. But all I'm doing the entire episode is holding it in my hand and gesturing. I don't ever take a sip. Very rarely do I end up drinking it. Like, you know, I mentioned how I had about a half of the energy drink left, and I still have half of it left. Maybe because I just don't want to interrupt my flow. I don't want to interrupt the flow by taking sips. But clearly I'm okay talking about it. Clearly I'm okay talking about my rate of consumption. So why not also consume? But yeah, I'd say uh, just that ability to to make distinction between two things that are distinct, and of course that plays into the whole idea of you know the the so called racism of thinking people of a certain ethnicity look alike. And I agree, there is a really stupid, ignorant version of that. The person who says, "Oh, they all they all definitely look alike. They're all identical." Somebody who actually makes a point of that, yeah, that is stupid. I don't know how, you know, I guess that you can go down some long, twisted path in thinking, oh, if they think everybody looks alike, therefore is alike, they can justify hating the whole group for what one of them does, or just if they, in thinking they all look exactly alike, they're dehumanizing them, they're stripping them of their individuality. I can, you know, I can see the logic that takes you there. But that said, I mean, when you have limited experience with a group of people who have a certain set of characteristics, you are going to have a more difficult time differentiating between them. And that was an interesting thing about going to South Korea, where that experience basically taught me, you know, it taught me a little bit about, I wouldn't say that I'm perfect at it, but I can much more easily recognize someone of Korean ancestry in the United States. And if you were to test me, I'd probably fail. But maybe not. But I I have found that I will see somebody now. And, you know, and honestly, I didn't. Because I'd only met, you know, there, I grew up in a place where there were probably, there was probably a higher percentage of Asian Americans where I grew up in the Seattle area than maybe anywhere else in the United States, except for possibly the Bay Area, California. But that said, you know, it was a mixture, people of different backgrounds. And while I I had friends, like a a good friend of mine in junior high and high school, his parents were, they came over from Japan. And uh, they, they were very Japanese, as people who would come directly from Japan would be. So, you know, I had some experiences with, you know, with that, but for the most part, it wasn't really a conversation. You didn't really get a feel for what are the unique characteristics that make somebody recognizably Korean. And of course, that is ignorance. It's not malicious ignorance. And I think we have a hard time differentiating between that. And I think we deliberately assign this nefarious intent sometimes to ignorance that isn't helpful. It's just not helpful. Because, yeah, there is the person who is saying, they all look alike, and they do mean it to be 
hostile in some way. But there are a lot of people who can't differentiate between certain people or have a more difficult time, at least, because they simply haven't been exposed to it. And when I was in Korea, you know, I started to really... I don't know what it was. It's hard to really... I had some weird experiences there that were almost hallucinatory. One being I was walking down the street, and I was only there for two weeks, but I was walking down the street by myself, and I was in a town. I stayed in a town, a small city, where nobody spoke English. Very few people spoke English where I stayed. They didn't understand me at all, and I didn't try. I just didn't even try. I just kind of enjoyed that. I enjoyed just being in this strange alternate reality where I couldn't communicate and where I was an outsider. I mean, there was even a bar there that wouldn't serve us because we were white Americans or just Americans. I think they had had bad experiences with the military, with soldiers maybe getting drunk and being rowdy. I don't know what it was, but we went into this bar and this guy just came and he was, no American, no American. And I kind of enjoyed it, you know? It was, you know, I mean, discrimination isn't anything to make light of, unless it is, unless you can find some humor in it. But it's like, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, uh, everybody should try getting discriminated against once. You know, I'm not going to say that, but it was a, a new experience, you know, living where I've lived, nobody's ever told me I can't come into a bar or come into a restaurant because of my ethnic background. And in Korea, it happened. And nobody was going to kick our asses. You know, nobody was going to kick my ass for it. You know, nobody's going to... They just said we couldn't come in. And I just... I was like, okay. Well, that's a, that's new. But I'll, I'll take it. This is their country. You know, nobody's out to hurt me. I, they just they just want to keep this bar to themselves. It was just a unique experience in my life. Uh, but while I was there, you know, there was this... I, almost this hallucination one day where I was walking down the street and I swear, I, you know, I didn't... I learned like two words of Korean that I forgot the second I got on the plane to go home. I learned like the word yes or something. <laughs> and, and maybe hello... And I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what those are now. But uh, I was walking down the street, and I swear that I, I was listening to people talk, and I swear I started to just understand them. It was almost like in a movie where suddenly somebody who's speaking another language, you start to hear it in your own language. And it was probably complete nonsense. I doubt I was actually hearing what they were saying. But for a split second, I swear I understood them. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't take a polygraph and say that I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swear an oath that I under, that I actually did understand what they were saying. But it was just an interesting little experience. And then the other thing was also just people, like their appearances. I was, you know, I became much more aware of the unique characteristics that people have. And I mean, one of the reasons why people do confuse people of other ethnicities, you know, or of a particular ethnicity, one reason people do, there is that stereotype of the ignorant American who thinks all Asians look alike. One of the reasons for that is that they generally do have black hair. And they generally, you know, in a country like Korea, people are much more homogenous looking than in the U.S. And even among, you know, European Americans, people are more homogenous looking in a place like South Korea because they all generally have dark to black hair. You know, their complexion is fairly similar, you know, and they, and also when it comes to mannerisms too, you know, I was talking about how sometimes people will compare two people, they'll say two people look alike when they're really referring to their mannerisms. Well, you know, mannerisms are cultural as well. And when an entire group of people has similar mannerisms, at least similar compared to mannerisms that other cultures have, you know, that's going to make them seem more alike, too. And people are going to make similar facial expressions. So, I mean, there's a reason why people do, people who aren't exposed to, you know, like, I think if you were to live in, say, Koreatown, if you live in a big enough city, a city that has that, or if you were to live in, you know, the part of L.A., you know, the Vietnamese part of L.A., I think you would almost certainly become much more 
you know, you just you develop an ability to differentiate and recognize the unique qualities of original uh, of individual Vietnamese people. And not to say you can't do it to begin with, but you're just naturally going to be ignorant of, you know, other ethnic groups. And as a result, you're going to have a harder time seeing some of the unique qualities. You know, you are going to paint them with a broader brush, and that's going to play into the way that you recognize them. And, you know, it's it's not something to rest on, though. I mean, I think where it does become... Where it does become just pointless, if nothing else, but where it could become, I don't know, like, willfully ignorant is just when you decide that, no, they, no, I know for a fact they all look the same. I know for a fact they're all, they're all clones of each other. You know, if you get that way about it, well, you have some other kind of agenda. If you do have some sort of bigoted agenda, well, that speaks for itself. But it is natural to have a difficult time recognizing unique characteristics about a culture that is foreign to you. Because things are going to seem similar, especially a culture that has maintained its culture without much external influence. I mean, every culture has a lot of external influence. And being in Korea, you know, you could just see in the architecture, in the traditional architecture, you could see the Chinese influence, you could see the Japanese influence. There's even Japanese and Chinese blood mixed in with the people there. So it's nothing is truly pure. But when you come from a place like America, and especially as a European-American, from a, especially from a certain part, from the Pacific Northwest, which is, you know, a fairly homogenous area itself, you have a lot of people of Scandinavian heritage, almost exclusively Northern European. We don't have many Italians. We don't have many Italians in, in the Pacific Northwest, you know, not a lot of Mediterranean, not a lot of Spanish. You know, mostly Northern European, especially Scandinavia. So, you know, that's going to color your experience, no pun intended. But, you know, I'm not talking about people thinking that two people from a specific Asian country look alike. I'm talking about people I'm talking about a white person comparing two other white people. And sometimes the what people see or don't see in that is what just makes me feel a disconnect where it's like, you know, let's just talk about reality for a second because I mentioned that that when people seem to see two faces as similar when they're clearly not to an expert like me, they're clearly not. But when someone does that and it makes me question whether I'm living in the same reality as that person, you think about what reality is. Like someone says, oh, well, you need a reality check. You need a reality check, okay? You know, when someone says that, what they mean is you need, you need a little dose of the truth because that's what reality means when we use it that way. And when we use reality at all, like... Oh well, you're gonna have to face. Uh, you know, you're gonna have to face. You know, a, a hard reality pretty soon. You know, it it usually means like you're gonna have to face the truth. Reality basically means some sort of objective truth, and you know that's what a reality check is. It's like I'm, I'm gonna give you a reality check. I'm gonna tell you exactly how it is. You know, you need to hear this because you, you need a reality check. You know, th th we tend to think of it that way. Reality is this objective thing. And, of course, we all have our own interpretations of it. We all have different vantage points. But there is a reality of some kind. You know, I'm not going to say it's set in stone, but there is some kind of reality for any given moment, you know, and for any given period in time in history, there is a certain reality and you have, you're always having people challenging it. There's always somebody who's going to challenge reality. And sometimes that's when someone has an agenda. Sometimes that's deliberate. Someone deliberately wants to change the reality that everybody is living in. And we're seeing that right now. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Even though our reality is shifting on its own, 
even though it's it's always shifting, of course. But you know, this year in particular, you know, beginning with the coronavi pandemonium, of course, our reality started to shift already then, and then that was that. You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't think that that was all by design. But we're seeing in the last couple of months where a lot of different people with a lot of different interests are deliberately trying to shift reality even further. And reality can be shifted. It can be. Even though it's this, even though there is some sort of consensus, even though there is some kind of objective reality that we can all use as a reference point, it can get distorted and it can get moved so quickly that we, it's almost like trying to see something through binoculars. You know, if you take binoculars to a wetlands and you're looking at the beautiful great blue herons, you're looking at all the great blue herons fishing, you're looking at them through binoculars, and then you kind of move, you move to look at something else, and if you try to find what you were looking at before, especially if it's very far away, or you lose your points of reference, like say you were, say you were using the shore as your point of reference for finding that great blue heron, but you like look up into the trees, and then you, if you try to find that spot again, while, without without taking your eyes out of the binoculars, without lowering your binoculars, it, it can be very difficult because your point of reference is completely gone. And so sometimes you'll, what you'll do is you'll lower the binoculars and then you'll like see that thing from far away or, or you'll, you'll regain your point of view and you'll be like, okay, the shore is right there and I remember that the heron was a little ways up. So you lift the binoculars back up and then you can figure out where it was. But maybe the heron flew off. Maybe the heron flew away. And uh, that happens with reality sometimes, too. You know, you, you try to regain your points of reference for reality, and then it turns out the thing that you were looking at before is long gone. But, uh, you know, sometimes, though, what was it? how did I even get into this binocular talk? Binocular talk. I don't know, I guess it's just rea- talking about reality and getting glimpses of something. And, you know, sometimes when you're you're zeroed in on one thing, it's easy to think that that's the whole of... It's easy to think that that's the whole picture sometimes. You know, sometimes if you don't lower the binoculars, it's very, to think, it's very easy to think that everything is encapsulated in that limited little view. Everything revolves around that great blue heron you're looking at. There's no longer this expansive wetlands. There's just this little part of the shore and this super heightened view of a great blue heron. And that's it. And that's what people do. You know, that's that's one of the, I think, the biggest corruptors of someone's individual reality is they're so focused on one thing that they forget to lower the binoculars and they start to see that thing everywhere too. They start to see that thing everywhere because they can't stop looking at it. They they don't they won't stop looking at it. And so they end up seeing it everywhere because they're not changing their view. It's not that that thing is everywhere. It's not that that thing actually is everywhere. It's that they're staring at it all the time. And, of course, people aren't literally doing that, but they've implanted that in their mind. And, you know, I do talk about synchronicity on this show, but there's also a a sort of an artificial synchronicity, which I would call noticing. And it's when you learn something new or an idea is introduced to you and it causes you to start noticing things that are always there or that are open for interpretation and you start to notice them in, if not for the first time, then you start to notice them kind of in a certain way. Your relationship to those things that you notice are suddenly different based on some sort of new information or new perspective that you have. 
And that's different from a synchronicity, which I think, you know, whenever I talk about synchronicity, what I will say is you just, if you're honest with yourself, you'll know if it is strange and significant or not. And that doesn't mean that it's meaningful. It doesn't mean it's meaningful in the same way that, you know, it doesn't mean that it's trying to communicate a message to you, a profound message, because synchronicities can be silly. They can be trivia. And I think I mentioned a while back that my perspective on synchronicity now, it's not that they're really trying to impart some hyper-specific message. Synchronicity is trying to communicate to you that everything is connected. And when you see synchronicity in something, when a synchronicity, when you experience synchronicity, it's like getting glimpses of a mountain. Say you're driving down the highway and there's trees all around and you caught a glimpse of the mountain. You're like, whoa, look at the mountain. And then you drive through another patch of trees and then there, oh, there's the mountain again. It's not that those are different mountains. You know, it's all the same mountain, but you're blinded from seeing it the entire time. You're not just staring at the mountain the entire time. And I would say synchronicity is similar. Where synchronicity, I used to think of it as this these individual events. Like, it wasn't synchronicity, it was synchronicities. Oh, I experienced a synchronicity. Oh, these synchronicities keep happening to me. And when I realized, oh no, these aren't individual events. These are glimpses of one giant thing. And if there's any message to be taken from it, it's communicating to you that things are far more connected, things are far more related, things are far more um, woven together in Indra's net than you would have ever imagined otherwise just going through your mundane life. So that's kind of my current take on synchronicity. And since realizing that, I don't experience them quite as much. You know, I not to say I don't experience them ever, but it's definitely changed. I'm no longer seeking them for one. I used to I used to be so hungry for a synchronicity. I used to be so hungry and I would call myself a synchronicity junkie, where I was constantly looking for the next one. And it's a good way to not get the next one. But when I learned that, oh, I'm just getting glimpses of the same thing every time, and it's coming to me in different ways, with different words, with different objects, different experiences, but it's still, it's the same phenomenon. It's the same central single phenomenon, and what it's communicating as a whole, the whole of, of the synchronistic phenomenon, the whole of it is, is that, oh, everything is far more related and interconnected in a way that defies our expectations of reality, to get back to reality. But, you know, it does. I think that's what's crazy about synchronicity is you know when it's defying your expectations of reality, which makes it strange and unique and different. But something you can also end up doing is when you learn something new, you start to notice it. And that can happen with some of these controversial issues that are going on. I mean, racism is one where when you are suddenly told that racism means something, it has a, you thought it meant something else, and you were told that it, it's something that can be applied to a far larger range of circumstances, and you start to notice it everywhere. Oh, that's racism. That's racism. Oh, that's racism. That's racism. You know, it's like you can easily start to notice it everywhere. Does that mean that it's in none of those places? No. It probably is in some of those places. But you start to obsess over it. You, your binoculars are focused on that. And when the reality is, it's just that you're focused so intently on that that you can only see it in those places. It's almost You almost see it when somebody is dating somebody new and they are head over heels in love. It is great to see somebody be that excited, but it's they're so overloaded and obsessed with that person that they see them in everything. Where they'll say, first of all, they will bring them up a lot. Everything is, oh, well, that reminds me of uh, Genevieve. That reminds me of Carl. You know, whoever the fuck it is. <laughs> whoever it is that they, whoever it is they're head over heels in love with. 
You know, it's everything reminds them of that person and everything relates to that person. It's almost like it's their new god or goddess where they're kind of like, oh, well, uh, that Genevieve said, oh, you know, that reminds me, Genevieve and I were talking, Carl and I were talking, you know, whatever it is, whoever it is, whatever it is, you'll just, you'll just notice that. And if you're a good friend to somebody, you just, you're excited that they have somebody to think about. And it's, it's a, love is a wonderful thing. Although there's a, there's that part of you too, that's like, ooh, this isn't sustainable. This isn't sustainable. It's not sustainable to be obsessed with another human being to that degree. Um, but the same is true for what I'm talking about. When you start to notice things or you relate everything to that thing that's in your binocular, it's, it's, into the, it's inside the field of vision of your binoculars, so everything kind of corresponds to that thing that you are hyper-examining. And it's not sustainable. You know, you'll get bored. You might even get resentful. You know, you might, I'm sick of this great blue heron. I am so sick of looking at this great blue heron. And then uh, you, you move the binoculars down a little bit. You scan the shore, and guess what you see? Another great blue heron. Ugh. Turns out the whole shore is nothing but great blue herons. And you'll, there's another one to look at. Another one, another one. I'm sick of these binoculars is what I'm sick of. And that's a start. That's how you know you're making progress. If you feel like you've been just obsessing over something and it's starting to make you mentally sick, starting to make you feel unhealthy, you know, it's, it's, a, po- it's a step in the right direction to say, oh, you know what, I'm actually sick of these binoculars. Even though it's not about the binoculars, at least you're starting to look at the tool rather than what you're viewing. And then the next step is then you go, you know what, I'm kind of sick of my eyes. I'm sick of looking at things with my eyes. So it starts out, you get sick of the object that you've been staring intently at for hours, days, weeks, years. Years of staring at that great blue heron. Next thing, you get mad at the tool, the binoculars. And then next, you get mad at your eyeballs, Then you get mad at your brain. Then you get mad at your head. Then you get mad at your whole being. And that's the dark night of the soul. That's when you... That's when the real existential work becomes possible. That's when the real... As Carl Jung would say, you know, that's when the shadow work... That's when you really have some good material material to work with. When you're no longer projecting all of your anxiety, your fear, your disdain, your resentment, when you're no longer projecting that outward, when you're no longer projecting that at the tool, when you're no longer projecting that at one small part of you, but when you're actually looking at that thing, that whole shape, that's when the real work can be done. That's also when some people lose themselves forever. But you have to be willing to work on yourself when you're in that state. You have to be willing. And I feel I've talked enough about that stuff. I don't even know how I, how I got here. I understand that that's a common refrain on this show. Is I, don't even, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. I don't even know why. I don't even know how this came up. You know, I know that's been a, a common thing, but it's, it's just the truth. I, I just forget how I get onto certain topics. It's the... I'm just following the river of the bang energy drink. I'm just following the, the Miami Cola River. I'm drinking Power Punch, bang, but I'm imagining it's Miami Cola. I'm imagining it's Miami Cola. Not to take anything away from Power Punch. I'm becoming one of those people who, like, I'm eating at the hamburger stand, the five-star hamburger stand, and I'm enjoying this, I'm, I'm tasting this wonderful hamburger, but the entire time I'm like, but the burgers over across the street are better. This is a good burger, but the burgers across the street are better. That's what I'm doing with Bang Energy Drink. Oh, this Power Punch, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, but you know what's better is Miami Cola. 
That's what I'm doing with this. I got to learn to just enjoy the bang energy drink I have. It might not be Miami Cola, but there might be a day where I'm drinking a Miami Cola and I'm thinking, I sure wish this was Power Punch. So I might as well enjoy Power Punch while I have it. I got to take my binoculars off of that Miami Cola out on the horizon. There's a can of Miami Cola bang energy drink and it's just bobbing up and down like a buoy. Bob, imagine that if I was out on a boat, this is a, this was, this is my idea of like, if I could actually lucid dream, I would be in a boat, beautiful summer day. I'm getting a tan. I have my shirt off in the boat and I'm getting a nice tan. My testosterone is being boosted and I'm just, it's a lucid dream. And I just think, you know, what would be great right now is a Miami Cola and it doesn't come to me right away. It doesn't come to me right away, but a little while later, I'm floating along, and I see something in the water, and I think, what is that? Oh, somebody threw, oh, look, somebody threw their empty beer can. One of these fucking assholes threw the empty beer can in the water, and it's floating along. There's gar- in my lucid dream, there's fucking garbage floating in the water. And then I get closer and closer, and I'm really mad because I think somebody, even in my dreams, people litter. And then I get closer, and I notice that the can, oh, I see the Bang logo on it. And in fact, you know, it's not the black can that many of the flavors have, that Power Punch has. That can is kind of a light color. It's a, it's, the coloring is very light. Maybe even, I, I can't remember offhand if Miami Cola is white, but it's a dream, so it could be any color, but it's light. It's a light-colored can of Bang Energy Drink, and I get closer, and it's bobbing there. And by this point, my tan is so, it's just the perfect tan. And then I reach down, and I, what I think is an empty can, what I think is litter, and I touch it, it's full and unopened. And I lift it up and it says, Miami Cola. And then I reach down to pop it open and take a sip. And then I wake up. Then I wake up. I never even get a fucking sip. I never even get a sip. Uh, (laughs) That's a good realistic dream. I'm like, I'm lifting the Miami Cola to my lips. And then I wake up. That's, that's how dreams work sometimes. But, well, and here's an interesting thing. You know, speaking of dreams, you know, and people's faces and, and people looking like people and people making comparisons between people who don't look alike, your dream self does that all the time. Maybe those people are just, maybe these people who I am just harshly judging for their inability to make accurate comparisons between people's faces, maybe they are just living in a dream world. Because my dream self, you know, I will see people I know, and I will know that it is them. I will know that that's my friend Nick, who's been my friend my entire life. And, and in the dream, though, he looks nothing like Nick. But there, in the, there's no amount of, conf- there's no confusion I'm not sitting there going, you know, like, I know it's you, but you don't look anything like you. You just accept it. There's something soul. It's like, it's because it's about souls. You know, in your dream world, you're sensing people's souls, which is why your friends can look like completely different people, but you know it's them. You're sensing that that's their soul. And that should tell you something about our material bodies. That should tell you something about your reality. You know, it's, you know, we, we think, uh, we think it's so important, these characteristics, this is my nose, these are my eyes, you know, but really it's like, is, is that you? Probably not. I don't think so. A lot of people don't think so. Whether you're tan, whether you're pale, whether you look like Mike, whether you and Mike would be the best friends, doesn't matter, it, you you know, and that's kind of what happens. That's kind of it gets into just the idea of friendship itself, where you know, there's so many people out there who, on paper, 
should be your best friend, my best friend too. You know, there's people who should be that, you should just be able to be like, okay, yeah, you know, we both like this, we both read this, we both think about this, and then you meet that person, there's no connection. It's what people call chemistry. And it's not just romantic relationships, it's any kind of friendship at all, where there's some people, and it might not be the first time you meet them, I mean, there's like I've had friends where the first time I met them, I kind of didn't like them. Or maybe I felt some just competitive edge. I don't think that I'm super competitive with new people. But at the same time, every once in a while, you'll meet somebody and you feel maybe a little bit challenged by them. Maybe they just said the wrong thing and you just you judge them for that. This one little interaction, something like that. But then you meet them again and you're like, well, actually, yeah, we're, we're friends. Oh, yeah, we were. Oh, yeah. Despite first impressions. Oh, it turns out we're actually friends and we just didn't know it. That can happen too. You know, there's this chemistry, but you know, I, I don't know why we have to get all scientific about it when we can just say it's souls. Chemistry? What are you talking about? It's souls. It's people, it's souls recognizing souls, which is why your dream self can recognize your friends even when they're inhabiting completely different bodies, and not even just your friends. In my dream world, like in dreams, I will see somebody who is a random, like seventh grade classmate who moved to another town and I never saw them again. And in my dream, they're inhabiting a different body, but yet I still know it's them. Because a soul doesn't forget another soul. And uh, I'd say the same is true for reality. The same is true for, or maybe more appropriately, waking life. Where it's why you can be friends with some people and not friends with other people. No matter how accepting you are. No matter how open you are. There's some people where there's just not really any momentum. There's just not really anything to build on. And you know it. And sometimes you can spend years with those people. You can date those people. And you'll spend years just thinking like, oh, well, on paper, this makes sense. According to my calculations, this makes sense. According to my calculations, this is something called friendship. But the reality is you don't really care. You're not really invested. And it doesn't mean you can't get along with that person. It doesn't mean that person is not in your life for a reason. But there is something, you know, indescribable but not that complicated. It might be indescribable, but I don't think it's really that complicated if you just if your intuition is working. If your intuition is doing what it should do, it's really not that complicated when your soul meets another soul. But uh Maybe that's what those people are doing. Maybe all these people who I'm judging for their inability to see people's faces as I see them, maybe they're just more in tune with souls than I am. And they're, when they say, don't you think Jerry looks just like Mike? What they're really talking about is their souls. And I'm the, I'm the ignorant one. Here I am completely focused on Jerry and Mike's material manifestation. Well, uh, Jerry's got a hook nose, and Mike's got a snub nose. Jerry's got a, you know, a, a clefted chin. Mike's got a, a pointed chin. Looks like a spike coming out of his neck. Jerry's bald with black hair. Mike's blonde with a full head of hair. Jerry's fat. Mike's built like a surfer. Maybe they're just looking at their soul. Maybe when that coworker of mine, when she messaged me and said, you look like a more attractive version of this guy from 90 Day Fiance, maybe she meant your soul, you're a more attractive soul than this guy's soul from 90 Day Fiance. And you're more attractive because you like Miami Cola. You're more attractive because you like Miami Kohler. Maybe that's it. Maybe this has been, this episode has just been a chance for me to learn a little bit. This has been a chance for me to listen and learn. Holy shit. 
these people have been talking about souls this entire time, and I thought they were just talking about the most superficial aspects of someone's existence when they were going deep. So stupid. So fucking stupid. No, um, no, people just don't know what people look like. <laughs> no, I think I think people just there's something wrong with some people where they just can't tell what someone looks like and they make weird incorrect comparisons between two people's faces that look nothing alike and it makes me feel high and mighty to point that out it makes me feel good about myself it makes me feel superior to point that out because i'm just so good at comparing people's faces and i'll tell you why I drink Miami Cola. You got to have some kind of fuel. You got to have some kind of fuel. If if you have some kind of, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how keen your eyesight is. It doesn't matter if your eyes are a natural set of binoculars. You got to have some kind of fuel. And I've said it before a long time ago. It used to be a slogan on this show, but I'll go ahead and close out with this. My name is Benito Mussolini Gasolini, and I'm the fuel for your Lamborghini. So whether that girl's got a tan or whether she's pale, tell her when she comes over here to bring me an apple teeny. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.